Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21. And we see some sobering aspects of what we've been studying in the book of Numbers. We see how um, Moses, in his disobedience, is now restricted from the promised land. Now, when we see these restrictions from the promised land, what we studied last week, uh, when, when, uh, um, when the Lord says in um, uh, uh, chapter 20, verse 12, to to the uh, uh, to Moses and Aaron and remember Aaron died uh, uh, in chapter twenty, uh, but he spoke to Moses and Aaron in verse twelve, chapter twenty, Numbers, and he says, "Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them." You know, and it's very very sobering to see that in this life that Moses and Aaron have a heavy price to pay. But then don't forget that Moses was at the transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Don't forget that. And, I, you know, I don't want to make excuse and say that, you know, like, oh, you know, you can do this, do this, and this is bad, this is terrible, and don't worry about it, you'll get to heaven. I don't, I don't want to come off that way. But understand that there are promises that we have in the Word of God that, even with mistakes, how the Lord teaches us, we need to grow. We need to grow. We need to mature. Understand that you'll never be sinless. Never be sinless. In this life, you'll never be sinless. But then at the same time, how as we grow, as we mature, we can be sin less and less and less and less. I mean, to give you an example, the problems that you had as a Christian, if you've been a Christian for more than a year, the problems that you had in the flesh five years ago should not be an issue that you're having today. Problems that you had two years ago should not be problems that you have today. And problems that you had a year ago should not be problems that you have today. Why? Because you've grown, you've matured, you've laid aside the elementary things and you're moving on to perfection. Now, when you're perfect, when you're complete, you'll be dead. When we are perfect and made complete, we'll be dead. Okay, so in this life, we have a lot of growing and maturing to go. Understand that. But what a valuable, valuable lesson that we see here in the pages of Scripture, in Numbers, and with these sobering aspects of what we see in the book of Numbers and how the Lord deals with Israel, you see some beautiful aspects, too, of Israel in her own growth pattern, her own growth before the Lord. You see Israel, they're different. They start to be a little different. There are some attributes where they're a little bit the same. But then there are other attributes where it's like, whoa, wait a second. This is a different Israel. This, is, this isn't this is like the Israel I read in Exodus. This is, isn't the Israel that I read in uh, Leviticus or in the early the earlier chapters of Numbers. And that's what we're going to see here in chapter 21. And it's beautiful. And here we see in chapter 21, book of Numbers, verse 1. The king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Now, the road to Atharim, remember in twenty, chapter 20, verse 20, how they weren't given passage through Edom? In, in, in verse 20, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 20, says, Then he said, You shall not pass through. This is the, uh, uh, the king of Edom. He says, So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. So you see Israel, they have these restrictions 
from the lands. And you're going to see that as they're traversing through the wilderness, that you're going to see there's the Amorites, the Moabites, just like we studied last week, the Edomites. Here we have Arad, who's a Canaanite. And remember, you know, when Israel was afraid, the Canaanites, when they were huge, they were, when they were uh, to pass through Canaan, and then the report came back, the uh, uh, recon team came back and says, oh my goodness, these guys are huge. They're going to kill us. We can't take that. Even though the Lord told them. The Lord didn't say, you know, like, go, this is your land. Everything's going to be fine. I mean, like, he did, but it was already given to them. It, it was before it was already given to them they just had to walk in it does that ring does that resonate it does with me does that resonate with you all these promises that we have in the lord assurances that we have in holy scripture they're already given to us i mean you believe Praise be to the Lord. You love the Lord? Praise be to His name. You fear the Lord? Praise be to His name. You're abiding in Christ? Praise be to His name. Just as we studied on Sunday, when you're tempted, you look for the door and don't just look for the door like, oh, look, there's a nice little door there. No, you look for the door and you take the door. You make a way of escape when you're tempted. And you have your little spiritual checklist, your obedience checklist, okay? Doing this, doing this, doing this. You're still gonna, you're still gonna stumble from time to time. And I don't mean stumble like, you know, Go commit murder, you know, all these things. I mean, it might, but, you know, I don't want that to happen. And if that happens, you got to go to prison. You got to pay the price. But don't forget the beauty of repentance. And I don't want to gloss over, you know, keep in mind, I say these things to you with the backdrop of Romans. I say these to you with the backdrop of what we study in 1 Corinthians. Now, if you're listening for the first time and you're like, whoa, I can commit murder and I'm okay. No, 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 no. When I say these things, I, I, I speak as to the wise. I speak as to mature, not to babies. We have this backdrop of Romans. We have this backdrop of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you're listening for the first time, don't do those things that, you know, murder, all those the works of the flesh. Don't do those things. Now, if you've been listening for a while and you've studied through the book of Romans, it's not still to say don't do these things. But you get a clear picture of what grace is. Not to take advantage of the Lord's grace. It's almost like, I don't want to say it's impossible to sin. Because it's entirely possible for the Christian to say, I mean, we, 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 if, we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But when it comes to the works of the flesh, it, it almost becomes, I mean, we, we still have works of the flesh, but when I say it almost becomes an impossibility compared to who you were outside of Christ, compared to who you were before Christ, the sins that you were committing 10 years ago, the sins that you were committing five years ago, they're going to be less and less and less and less. And you're moving on to perfection. It's almost like a little barometer, a little, a little measurement. You know, as we, you know, once a month we partake of communion, but it's almost like a little measurement tool to scrutinize as we exercise this self-scrutinization. To see whether a thing is genuine or not. 
And what is this thing I'm speaking of? You, your temple, your body, your mind, your heart. And not your temple, it's the Lord's temple. I mean, when you're abiding in Christ, it's His, 100% His. It's not to have any excuse for sin, but to understand you know these. Uh, when, when you know when, when Paul says, "Does that mean that we should sin more so that grace can abound?" I mean, you hear me say, like you know, uh, speak loosely about the promises that we have in Christ and the, the the assurances we have in Him, and I speak these things. And you know, if you're listening for the first time, it might it cause in to question, like, wait a second, does that mean that we can sin so that grace can abound? That's why I say we have this backdrop of this of Romans, our study through the book of Romans. And I echo the words of Paul. No way! Exclamation point. No way. Don't take advantage of God's grace. And that's part of maturing in Christ. And that's what you see here in chapter 21. In Numbers, you see Israel, they're different. You might not understand that now. I mean, you might have an idea, but we're going to see that. I mean, by the time we're done, you're going to see like, whoa, they, they are different. So in chapter 20, we see that, you know, they were given no passage by the Edomites. In chapter 21, they have the Canaanites. And, you know, the king of Arad, he saw that he heard that Israel was coming on the road to, to Atharim. And then he says here, there's more opposition, just like we see in with the Edomites in the previous chapter. It says here in verse 1, Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. Whoa. So do you remember how in the previous chapters when the Lord says, you know, the 11-day journey when it became 40 years? I don't like that. I, I, I don't like how 11 days became 40 years. I, I don't like that. And that's a little bit of my carnal nature. I mean, the spiritual side, you know, you know, that's not, it's, it's, the 11 days is better. But I don't like it carnally and spiritually because, you know, spiritually, it's like, okay, 11 days is the best. And carnally, it's like, okay, 11 days is better because it's just 11 days as opposed to, you know, 40 years. But then understand that even in the 40 years, something is happening. Growth and maturity. A different Israel. So you see this king of Arad came against Israel. And you could say, wait a second, they won. You know, he won because look, now he took some prisoners. And I have to be very, very careful with verse 2. I have to be very, very careful with verse 2 and 3 because I love it. I'm so in love with verse 2 and 3. It's so beautiful what happens here. I'm going to say I have to be careful because there are certain aspects of what we see here that I like spiritually, but then also carnally. And I got to be careful. So in verse 2 says, so Israel, so they, they took prisoners, the, the Canaanites, they took prisoners. Arad has prisoners of Israel. In verse 2, so Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. Several things that we see here. And just this one verse alone, several things we see. 
Israel is united. Not like before. Remember, he had, you know, the uh, unity of the assembly of Korah or the unity of the assembly when they were against the Lord or against Moses or against Aaron or against Moses and Aaron vicariously, you know, including the Lord because Moses and Aaron were the vessels of the Lord. But you see a little different Israel because they're united and they make a vow unto the Lord. Lord, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, speaking as one, then I will utterly destroy their cities. They speak as one. They make a vow as one. And they're unified. Now, if I can reveal a little bit of my own carnality, what's about to happen here is war, a battle, a fight. And when I say I can reveal my carnality, or I'm going to reveal a little bit of my carnal aspect, is there's something very unifying about a fight. And I don't say that loosely. I don't say that to be comical. I say that because it's just... You know, in my experience, there's something very, there's unifying attributes of a fight. It, it, the, 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 the past, okay, I'll, I'll just say it, like, the deep, deep, deep intimacy that I had with a group of guys before in the past. I have never, ever, ever had such close fellowship in this particular brotherhood. Rough guys, tough guys, uh, battle-tested guys. Rough, rough and tough guys. And I've never experienced that level of brotherhood and intimacy even as a Christian. And I don't say that as an indictment against the church. I've come close. You know, with, with several people, I've come close before in the past. But never as an aggregate body, or the, the unity of the saints. And it's not an indictment against the church. But what I want to say is the, the unifying attributes of a fight, the unifying attributes of war, the unifying attributes of combat. You know, and I don't want to, the reason why I'm hesitant in saying these things is because that's, that's the old nature. I don't like to hearken back to the old nature, the carnal ways. But I tell you from experience. To have this level of intimacy within a brotherhood. And when I say intimacy, I don't mean intimacy, carnally speaking. I mean, I do, but not, you know, people say intimate and they think like, oh, you know, that I don't mean it like that. I mean intimacy like closeness, a brotherhood. And I haven't had that in the body of Christ. I've come close with certain individuals. It just blows me away so much about when we look at difficult times, 
not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Look at them. Look at them. I mean, you know, you, you, when we studied the book of Acts, do you remember how I would say, I mean, if you're listening first for the first time, listen to, I mean, you know, you, you're going to listen to this study, but then go back and listen to our studies through the book of Acts, through the book of Leviticus, because I make reference. I mean, you hear me say like, you know, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan, and you're like, what in the world? Who is this guy? What? what is, this? is this English? What's up? Listen to our study through, the, through Leviticus. Then you understand, oh, you know, it's not just Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. It's not just like, okay, I don't know what that means. Let's move on. No, it's like you get a deep understanding of what that means in Leviticus, but then you get a deeper understanding of what it means as New Covenant believers when you see the reference to Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. You start to understand. Well, you remember in our study in the book of Acts, how, you know, there was common reference to like, wait a second, this is a different church. It's not like the church you see today. It's a different church. It's not like the social clubs that you see today. They're entirely different. And the Holy Spirit is moving entirely different than how the Holy Spirit moves today. Not to say that the Holy Spirit has changed. You know what has changed? Culture. Culture has changed. We have changed. You look at the church in the book of Acts. It's like, whoa, these are, this, these are different Christians. Look how the Holy Spirit is moving within these, these people individually, male, female. Look how the Holy Spirit is doing like wild things. No disrespect to the Lord by saying wild, but I mean the wild like in comparison to what we see today. I mean, you wouldn't see the church in the book of Acts putting glitter in the rafters and calling that the Holy Spirit. No, it, they didn't have to fake anything because the Holy Spirit was moving. But then also, there was a lot of oppression against the church. The cost of being a Christian was getting heavier and heavier and heavier through the book of Acts. You know, there was a great commotion about the way, the people of the way. Why? Because of the revival. And in the revival, people were going out of business. People wouldn't go worship the, you know, the idols anymore. The business owners, they were having to shut their doors because people weren't buying the products for Diana anymore. There was a revival. Great, great, great commotion about the way. And in this commotion, in this spiritual warfare that we see in the book of Acts, you also see the unifying attributes among the body of believers. You see? That's what I mean. There's something very unifying about a fight. Something very unifying about a brawl. Something very unifying about combat. That's why, you know, a lot of veterans today, you know, they go into, or, you know, when they were active duty, they go into a theater of violence, uh, like hardcore violence. And they go in with, you know, uh, say like 80 guys, but of those 80, 20 are super, super, super close. And of that 20, maybe four are like ultra, ultra close. They're like one. That's when they're in theater, in combat. But they come home and what was used to be four is now two. Because two were blown away. 
their fire team is, isn't four anymore. It's just two. Their squad isn't 20, 25 anymore. Their squad is maybe the whole squad got just destroyed. And there's just four guys that came back, five guys that came back. This is so close, but then they come back and they're just emotional wrecks. They won't say anything. They won't tell you. But they're just emotional wrecks. But you look at their group of guys. I mean, you could see like they're emotional wrecks. But then like they visit, you know, one of their buddies visits. One of, I don't want to say buddy like in the world, but one of their buddies, like a, 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 somebody who's gone through with them, somebody from their unit. And it's like, wow, I'm home. They're home. Yes, the world is the world. They can't. It's difficult for them to cope in civilian society. Nobody's experienced what they've experienced. They can't fit. And then they get together with one of their comrades. And it's like, wow, I'm home. Another guy, wow, I'm home. You've been through what I've been through. You're, I'm home. Then they have their unit gets together. What's left of their unit gets together. Wow, this is like, I'm home, you know, forget the world. It's like, wow, I'm home. I'm with this group of guys. And none of us can fit anywhere. I'm with this group of guys. This is home. But I haven't experienced that in a church. And that's something that's going to be so incredibly beautiful about the last days. Because there's going to be some major, major oppression. Major, major oppression. And I don't look forward to, you know, that. I don't look forward to like, you know, the, it's going to be perilous times. It's going to be, it's tribulation. But there are unifying aspects that we cannot dismiss. As the remnant is refined. Well, in this refinement, you know, you think about gold, you, 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 you mine for gold. And even if you are, are, are go, uh, pan, uh, panning for gold, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't have its purity because it's got all the muck and whatever attached to it. I mean, you might find gold, a couple ounces, you know, whatever. But then there's a process of purification, the washing the cleansing, the melting through fire. And in that process, you get rid of the impurities. The aftermath of that process of which is rough for the government, I it's speaking you know, chemically and you know the uh, uh, periodically, hearken to the periodic table. I mean, you're you're ridding that gold of impurities and the aftermath of that is just pure, pure gold. But what about that which is better than gold? I'm speaking about your soul. Well, this refinement, it will happen where the remnant is refined. 
And there's something very unifying about, about that because, you know, there's going to be a group of saints that are refined as through fire. Getting purified. And you could look at the world and be like, wow, you know, this is hardcore because the world's going to, you know, be on fire. But also at the same time, you have a remnant that's being refined in preparation for her bridegroom. And I don't mean, you know, there's carnal aspects where it's like, whoa, wait a second, you know, like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. But then you have to look at the spiritual side too. Remember, we, we, we don't have carnal eyes. We walk by faith, not by sight. Something very, very unifying about these difficult times. You know, the diff- something very unifying about the difficult times to come, the difficult times today, but even the difficult times of yesteryear with Israel. With Israel, and you see this unifying. Look at how Israel is speaking in verse 2. So Israel made a vow, not Moses, not Aaron, or Aaron's dead, but you know, not Moses, not the tribe of Dan, you know, not the tribe of Judah, not the three tribes together, not the Levites, not the Kohanim. You see, not Eleazar, who's the, 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 the high priest now because, you know, Aaron's dead. No, Israel as one. They make a vow to the Lord. And their vow in verse 2 is this. If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. They, they speak as one. They make a vow as one. And they're united, not like before. Not like before when they were united in certain, you know, uh, walking according to the flesh. United and when they were murmuring and complaining. Then you see the Lord's response to Israel. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel. You see, this is a picture of godly unity. It's not like before. When there was no unity. Not like before when, you know, maybe there was a little bit of unity. But look at the Look at the prior passages that we've studied, the prior chapters, some difficult, difficult, difficult things. I mean, even in our study in in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, we've studied some difficult passages. Oh my goodness, the works of the flesh. Oh my goodness. But look at the aftermath of the beauty of in. Studying those difficult topics, those difficult subject matter, Old Testament and New Testament. Are you different? Is your walk with the Lord different? My old pastor in California always used to say, you know, if if your position in Christ is worse today than it is it was yesterday, then you're already backslidden. And when I say the position in Christ, you know, it, 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 it's not like, you know, like a stature type of thing. But to have a mind that says, wait a second, Lord, I always want to be forward moving, forward looking and forward moving. 
Not to go back. Because look, if you get on the freeway and you have your eyes stuck in the mirrors, your, your eyes need to be on the windshield. I mean, not in, on the windshield, but like through the windshield looking ahead. You might reference back, look in the mirror really quick. Reference back, you know, before you change lanes, you know. Uh, look in the rear view mirror and change lanes. Nowadays, they have the cars, they do it for you. You don't even have to touch the steering wheel. They do it all for you. But old school, you know, speaking old school, you know, you got to look in the rear view mirror. And then you change lanes, make sure it's safe to go. And then you change lanes. You look in the rear view mirror as, you know, a reference. But you have to have your eyes forward and you're moving forward. And if you have your eyes stuck in the rearview mirror, you're going to crash. You're going to die. You're going to kill yourself, kill your passengers, and kill somebody else. Very important to understand these spiritual aspects of what we're seeing here in the book of Numbers. Even though we discuss some, I mean, look at the death that happened in Israel. Remember when the, in the, it, when the, the rebellion of Korah? And all the followers that Korah had, like, oh yeah, Korah, you're right. Why does Moses why does Moses think that only he speaks for the Lord? Aaron, they think they're holy. No, the Lord can speak. You know, we're we're of the elect. You know, God is for us. Who can be against us? So you know what? Stop following Moses. Hey, let's follow Korah. And Korah had his followers. And the Lord destroyed them. The earth opened up and took them all. Women, children. You see? All this, these hardships that we've studied in numbers, just the fact that 11 days has already, st- we're at the starting point of the 40 years. Well, not the starting point, but you know, that was already a couple weeks ago. But the 11 day journey is already, for, we're already 40 years, or at the 40 years. I mean, not at the 40 years, but we've already started that 40 years. Difficult, difficult things. But you see, a unified Israel, they're making a vow as one. They're speaking as one. They're committing as one. Lord, if you deliver this people, we're going to utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hears them. Listens to the, the Lord listened to the voice of Israel in verse 3 and delivered up the Canaanites. Delivered up the Canaanites. Remember when they were afraid of the Canaanites? When Israel was afraid of the Canaanites, you know, the recon team came back. Whoa, guys, these guys are huge. Let's not fight these guys. They're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us. One guy could take on 10 of us. That's how big they are. You know, like, look, the, the guy's arms are the size of a tree trunk. And look, my arms are like, you know, little, little straws. Well, with the eyes of faith, none of that matters. Because with God, all things are possible. Without eyes of faith, you can't see that. You can't understand that. So Israel, they're different. Even in the hardships. They're different. Just like you hear me reference this a lot. And I'm going to keep referencing this a lot. 
Hebrews 12, verse 11, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward or eventually, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. They've been trained through chastening. They've been trained. They're different. The people that they were afraid of, now they make a vow to the Lord. The Canaanites they were afraid of, Israel was afraid of the Canaanites because they're huge. But now they're not seeing things carnally. They're seeing things spiritually now, leaning on the Lord more than they used to. Yeah, these guys are big. We know these guys. You know, we had that recon team. They came back and they said these guys are huge. And, you know, even the recon team was afraid. Not all of them, except for Caleb. Caleb and Joshua, remember? But the people didn't listen to Caleb and Joshua. And so the Israel makes a vow. Okay, Lord, these guys are big. But if you deliver this people into my hand, remember, my hand. So you read this, you're like, okay, he's speaking individually. But no, Israel is speaking as one. Then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord heard them. And delivered up the Canaanites in verse 3. And they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah in the Hebrew. Which translates as utter destruction. Utter destruction. You see, Israel is learning how to fight as one. Look at Moses. You can look at Moses in previous chapters and be like, wow, Moses knew how to fight. You could look at Aaron in previous chapters. Wow, Aaron knew how to fight. Look at Caleb. Caleb wasn't afraid. He knew how to fight. Joshua, he wasn't afraid. He knew how to fight. And yes, that's beautiful for Moses, Aaron, Caleb, Joshua. Yes, it's beautiful. But what about the people? What about the camp? These are things that they have to learn. Just like in the body of Christ. You might have a pastor. You might have an elder, a deacon, godly, godly man. You might have a deacon, godly man, or godly woman. Just like Phoebe. Remember Romans 16? Just like Phoebe. A godly prophet or a godly prophetess. Just like Philip's daughters. And that's beautiful. But what about the camp of the church? You see? To learn how to fight. And I'm not talking about, you know, carnal weapons. Weapons of this world. I'm talking about spiritual weapons. And being one in the Lord. Being, having union. Koinonia. The Ecclesia. You see? Everybody says, oh, church unity, church unity. And I get it. I'm all for church, church unity. I'm all for it. But let's make sure that unity is in the truth of God's word. Because people want unity for the sake of unity. That's easy. That's social club. 
You can have unity with I mean people have unity in sports teams. People have unity in athletic departments, in academics. People have unity in all kinds of different things. But the unity of the church? Biblically? It's not unity with like, you know, oh, let's go hang out with these Lutherans, these Episcopals, you know, these Catholics. And yeah, you know, these are all people of the cloth. I want to have unity. And we're just one religious body. That's surface stuff. That's carnally. Those are carnal eyes that see that as something to aspire to. You read the Bible? It's like, wait a second. I want to have this kind of unity. It emanates from the Word of God. It's not to say like, oh, you know what? I'm, uh, you know, I'm cool. You know, I'm awesome. And so I'm going to, you know, it's just me, myself, and that's it. And no, we're just, you know, a special people and nobody can come in. No. It's to understand that abiding in Christ, we're still fishing. Hey, you, Catholic, you want to go worship Mary? Well, Mary's, don't worship Mary. It's not biblical. You, instead of you being in that camp, hey, change your camp. It's not us going to go worship Mary. It's us abiding in Christ and saying, hey, you Mary worshiper, you come over here. Now you're in the camp of Christ, abiding in Christ. Hey, you, you want to go, you know, worship uh, 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 Buddha? No, you come over here, worship Jesus Christ. In him, all things were made. You see, fish being fishers of men, fishers of women, young, old. That's unity. And what you see in the last days is this unity, but the Bible calls it apostasy. And you're going to be the bad guy when you point this out. Because you're not going to be for peace. Oh, we can have world peace. Look at all these religious divisions. You know, this person wants to kill this person. This person wants to kill this person. These people want to kill these people. Look at all these religious divisions. And then a man of peace is going to come on the scene. It's a false peace. And when they say peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety, boom, sudden destruction. So the Bible says. You're going to be the bad guy. But understand unity in the truth of God's holy word. Israel, they're not afraid like they were before. The Canaanites, who they were afraid of, look, they've engaged. They're engaging in the fight. And they named the place of that battle Hormah, which translates as utter destruction. And you see their unity. And it's not, it's not like, wow, look how strong Israel is. No. They're leaning on the Lord. It's not Israel's might. I mean, carnally, you can say like, wow, Israel is stronger. But their strength is in the Lord because they're leaning on the Lord. They're speaking as one and they make a vow to the Lord. 
Now, when I give my warning, like I have to be careful because I like this, because look at what look at what's happening. You know, I, I, just so you know, I like a fight. I like a good fight. You know, I, I like that before when I in my wicked ways, it was like an actual fight, fight. But I like it now. You know, as a Christian, you know, like a good fight, and spiritually speaking. I, I still like a good fight. And, I, and watch the fight, the boxing matches every now and then. You know, fast forward the commercials. You know, the bell rings, fast forward. I record them. I don't watch live TV. Live TV nowadays is dangerous because they just throw stuff on the TV like boom. It's like boom right in your eyes. You got to be wise. That's, you know, that's just for, you know, I was speaking about sports, but that's just for like regular TV. You know, so a lot of stuff that we watch is not live. The only thing that we watch live is like, you know, Jeopardy, <laughs> maybe the news, financial news, you know, maybe that. But a lot of what we watch is just like, you know, recorded. It's on DVR or it's on, you know, like, you know, one of the subscription services. Because it's like, wow, you know, things get crazy. You just hit, you know, pause, skip, or you don't even watch it. And that's what they do nowadays. They they get you hooked on one season and then boom, second season, they start to introduce all the Satanism, things of the occult, the lesbianism, homosexuality. That's what it, it's like. Wow, I like this character. I like this character. Then boom, next season you find out he's homosexual, and you're like, you're already like sucked in. It's like wow. So you have to be wise. It's like no, I'm not gonna watch it anymore. What's the point? I'm gonna read my Bible instead. You know. So you have to be wise. But just so you know, you know, I like a good fight. You know. So look at what happens here in verse three. Or in verse 4, when they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Remember the Edom, the previous chapter, the Edomite king said, no, no, you're not passing 20 verse 20, chapter 20 verse 20. The, the Edomite king said, no, you're not, you know, it came out against Israel with a strong hand. But in verse 4, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. So Israel, they're, they're traveling, and then all of a sudden, they, they came to around to the land of Edom, and they became very discouraged. It's like, wow, what's happening here? And in verse 5, and the people spoke against Moses and against Aaron. Now you look at this, and you're like, well, uh, you know, again, again, Israel is coming against the Lord and against Moses. Remember, Aaron's dead now. Look at what they say here in verse 5. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. And it's so sad to see this happen. Because you have a group of people that are even still unthankful. But you know what it reminds me of? Me. And if you're honest with yourself, I wonder if it reminds you of you. Because it's like, whoa, wait a second. You know, you could have victory in Christ and be on cloud nine. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have a stumbling, a moment of stumbling, a moment of forgetfulness. And then you start to see the ups and the downs in the Christian life. The ups and the downs of the Christian life. Your walk with Christ. Your journey with Christ. You see the ups and the downs. You have your moments where you're on cloud nine. You're just like, wow, praise the Lord. But then you have your moments where you're in the pits and you're like, Lord, where are you? Why did you do this to me? Why did you bring me here? And you get mad at your pastor. <laughs> Why did you do this? This is your fault. This is your fault. 
And I'm not trying to make excuse for sin or things of the carnal nature, but it reminds me of me. You see? Then you start to see a picture of Israel's journey in the wilderness, Israel in the Old Testament. It reminds me a lot about my own walk. And be honest with yourself. Does it remind you? Does it remind you of your own walk? I speak individually. A lot of times when we have these Bible studies, you know, it's corporately. I speak to everybody. But for right here and for right now, I speak to you individually. I don't care. I, mean, I care about your family. I care about, you know, kids, you know, spouses, parents, all that. I care. But for sake of argument, I don't care. It's just you. You and me. Having a cup of coffee. I just so happen to have a cup of coffee here. Just so you know, I like to teach without distraction. But every now and then you'll hear, hear, hear me take these long pauses. You might even hear a little slurp too. You hear my cup go down like that. But I have to because my throat hurts. Pray for, pray, you know. I mean, if you're willing, please pray. That's my prayer request so that I can teach. Because there's times when we teach, we're studying, and my throat is just on fire. So please pray. Sometimes, like if you hear me speak softly, slow like this, I do it so that I can go, you know, keep teaching. And so it just blows me away so much because we look at these passages where you see Israel, it's like, wow, Israel, it's like, wow, they're like just straight up taking names. And I don't mean that, you know, to sound carnally, but like you look at verse three and they're straight up taking names. So much so that it's like straight up horma, utter destruction. But their strength is in the Lord. It's the Lord that delivered the Canaanites. And don't forget, the Lord made himself known with Egypt. And in the law, there's provisions in the law for non-Jews, non-Israelites to be grafted into the camp. So people have a choice to make. As the Lord has made himself known. Okay, I'm going to leave Edom and I'm going to join the camp of Israel. I'm going to leave Canaan and join the camp of Israel. I'm going to leave Moab and, and join the camp of Israel. People have a choice to make. The same way it is today. Oh, I'm Catholic. Okay, but Mary doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. But there's something about Jesus Christ. There's something about his name. It's like honey on my lips. I'm going to deny Mary. And I'm going to worship Jesus Christ. I'm going to deny Buddha. And I'm going to worship Jesus Christ. You see? And you straight up, you see here in verse 3, Israel, it's like, whoa, they're like, they have their victory. They were given, their, the, 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 they, were, they were delivered into the hands of Israel. The Lord honored their vow as they speak in unity. <clears throat> and here you are. Now, more murmuring and complaining in verse 5. But does that remind you of you? It reminds me of me. Does it remind you of you? I'm not trying to make excuse, but understand that just as we studied in, in, in 1 Corinthians, that these things were written for our admonition. They were written for our examples. These things became for us as examples. Remember Paul says that? Inspired of the Holy Spirit. 
Now look what happens in verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. We just studied this on Sunday. I love moments like this, where you see direct correlation between our Sunday study and Wednesday study. Direct correlation. I mean, even considering the communion, that's like direct, direct correlation. I love moments like that. Because for a people of the way, it's almost like a little signpost along the way. Like, okay, you're on the right track. I love moments like that. And so look what happens here. Many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses. Now, it's very interesting what we see here because it's like, wait a second. Does, does this, it, it almost seems like they just, they, they, they like Moses when they need something. You know, it's like they came to Moses before, but it was to complain. It was to murmur and complain. There's no food. There's no water. We have this worthless bread. But then they come to, to Moses. It's like the, the people were dying because of the snakes that the Lord brought. And it's like, wait a second. Do they only come to Moses because they want something? But think about Moses as a type of Christ. Again, it reminds me of me. Does it remind you of you, my beautiful friend? Oh, life is good. Life is great. Praise be to the Lord. Man, Lord, you're so good. I love you so much. And then something happens where life doesn't, it's not so good anymore. Oh, Lord, you know what, Lord, I don't like this. You know, there's no food, no water, and my soul loathes this worthless bread. Oh, Lord, why did, why did you get me out of Egypt? Oh, Lord, whatever that Egypt is, or whatever that Egypt was. Lord, why did you do this? More murmuring and complaining. Or you get mad at your pastor. Lord, why... Why does the pastor have to talk like this? Why did he? Why does he have to tell me, you know, not to do my crack anymore? Why does this pastor have to tell me not to do my sex anymore? Ah, oh, man, it's like, what is this? And then the snakes come. Metaphysically speaking, metaphorically speaking, then the snakes come, given by the Lord. And it's like, wow, well, you know, I only come to the Lord when I need something. You see, it reminds me of me. Does it remind you of you? Now, I could say like, you know, 25 years ago, this big time reminded me. This was like straight up me. The ups and the downs. It's a lot less today, 25 years later. A lot, lot less today. But it still happens. And I love it so much. Because the Lord shows us our need for Him. The Lord shows you your need for Him. Mary can't do that. Buddha can't do that. The Hare Krishnas can't do that. I'm pronouncing that wrong. I think it's like Hari or I don't know. I say Harry. You know, the Hare Krishnas. Hare Krishna can't do that. You're not going to get that from the Hindu Vedas. You see, it's very interesting as we see these things, 
because it's like, wait a second, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, like our, our behavior as a, a young Christian, our behavior, it's precisely what it is, a young Christian, just like our study in Corinthians, the young church. How Paul had to speak, you know, I, I, I can't speak to you as to the wise. I have to speak to you like babies. Here, let me give you some milk. Here's some milk. Here's some milk. I mean, it's, it's cool to give a baby milk when they're a baby. But then the baby has to grow. And Paul says in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, these, you know, you guys are like babies to the church in Corinth. And it's been three years. You've had arrested development. The works of the flesh are evident. But even still, here's your milk. And then comes the corrective rod. Remember when Paul says in chapter 4, how do you want me to come to you? Shall I come to you, you know, with, 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 with a heart of peace? A heart of comfort? Or shall I come to you with a rod? You choose, Corinth. I can't come to you now. I want to come to you. But when I come to you, how do you want me to come? It's like, picture a pastor. Picture a pastor. Nice guy, you know, happy-go-lucky. Everything. I mean, you know, godly and, you know, he's not mean, you know. Everything's fine. But then, look at the church. Say a pastor goes on hiatus or goes on a mission trip. Say a pastor leaves the 99 to search for the one. A pastor goes on hiatus and then comes back, sends an email. Hey, I'm hearing all these things are going on back home. I'm hearing there's all these sex, drugs, alcohol. I'm hearing all this stuff going on. How do you want me to come back to you, church? I'm hearing about all this, you know, sex. A guy's having sex with his dad's wife. I hear that you're rejoicing, but you know what? Your rejoicing isn't good. How do you want me to come back? Shall I come with the rod? You choose. The ball's in your court. You choose. But I'll tell you what the Bible says. I'll tell you what the Lord says. Take this guy. You know, this is leaven in the church. Get rid of the leaven. That's what was happening in Corinth. And once those things were addressed, now look how Paul is speaking to the church when he says, I speak as to wise men. He didn't say, I speak as to wise men in chapter 2. In chapter 3, in chapter 3, he says, I speak as to babies. But then once the works of the flesh the guy who was having sex with his dad's wife, he says, kick him out of the church. Once that's been dealt with, then Paul says, I can speak as to wise men now. And then you see the church different. And that's what you're going to see, that little, the tempo of Corinth change. Because things have been corrected. 
But you see the Old Testament example of the very thing that Paul, what's happening in the church. You see the Old Testament example because these things were written for admonition. These things were written as our examples. Look at Israel. They have their victory. They're straight up taking names in Hormah. I mean, that's borderline carnally speaking because they were delivered by the Lord. But then at the same time, then they start to murmur and complain. You see, Israel is still in her infancy. But even still, and not just here, you're going to have the Moses, the, the Mo- Moses, as a little, put a little apostrophe at the end, the Moses. You're going to have the, the Joshua's. You're going to have the Caleb's. You're going to have the Samuel's. You're going to have the Hannah's. You're going to have beautiful, it's like, whoa, this is so beautiful. It's like a remnant within a remnant. Just like you see in the church. The multitude of Christians. But you're going to have your Pauls. You're going to have your Timothys. You're going to have your Tituses. It's another one. Put the positive Titus possibly. Just like Moses. I hate those S names. I mean, I love the S names like Moses and Titus. But it's like, for grammatically speaking, it's just like, you know, the Moseses, the Tituses. So put the apostasy, the Moses, the Titus, the Phoebes, the prophetesses, like uh, Philip's daughters. It's another one, prophetesses. There's another one. But it's so beautiful because you're going to have these molds, these patterns. As the Bible says, the Lord gives these peoples as patterns, like pattern matching. They're patterns. Okay, look, you know, I don't understand what the Bible says like this, but you know, there's this godly guy over there. There's this godly girl over here. You know, I'm going to do like her. I'm going to do like him. And then you learn. And then you grow. And then you mature. And then you put aside the things that, you know, so easily ensnare, so easily hinder. You move on to perfection, putting aside the elementary things of Christ. Just as the Bible says. But you see it happening in the camp of Israel. So look at verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. You see the acknowledgement of their sin. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. You see the people are learning. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So, you know, they seek the mediator. They go to Moses. Moses, do something. You pray to the Lord. Remember, Israel, they made a vow to the Lord and the Lord heard them. And in verse 2, they made a vow to the Lord. Corporately, a corporate vow. In unison, unified, how beautiful it is. But then at the same time, you see through hardship what happens. You see the infancy of Israel, but you also see their need to grow and mature and understand deeper things. And in these moments where you see passages like this, their their need to understand deeper things, you see the Lord delivers in multiple ways. He delivers, you know, He takes care of this need that's happening in the camp of Israel, but it's also a foreshadowing of the things to come. Because you see, so Moses prayed for the people at the end of verse 7. So he, 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 he responded. He responded. Now, what's so beautiful about this, it's like, you think, wow, Moses, aren't you not at wit's end with these people? 
Aren't you? It's like, wow, all they do is murmur and complain. All they do is murmur and complain. But don't forget, even he was humbled in chapter 20 because in chapter 20, verse 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron because you did not believe me to hallow me, not for pastors, elders, Bible teachers, youth leaders, anybody in ministry, worship leaders. The Lord must be hallowed in you. The Lord, you must hallow the Lord. You must hallow the Lord. Not hallow yourself. You must hallow the Lord. He must be holy in your life. Amen. If the Lord has called you into the ministry that you're serving in, the Lord must be hallowed. Because look what happened to Moses. And Aaron. Aaron's already dead. Because you did not believe me to hallow me. To hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. You see? What about your own meekness, teacher? Your own meekness, pastor, elder, youth leader, worship leader? Your own meekness before the Lord. Do you like the accolades of men? Is the Lord hallowed in you so that people can see? Not you. The people can hear. Not you. But hear what the Spirit says through His Word. What the Lord says through His Word. You know, and Paul says, I'm so thankful I didn't baptize any of you. Except, and he said, name some names. I didn't baptize any of you. Except, you know, and all these things. What pastor do you know who would say, like, or what teacher do you know who would say, I'm so thankful I don't see any of you. I'm so thankful I haven't baptized you. I'm so thankful that, no, because nowadays, you know, you live in the, you know, everybody wants to be Mr. Popular, Mrs. Popular. They wanted to get all their likes on social media. They want to be the influencers. No, biblically speaking, our influencer is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit. You see? We've got, like, things are crazy right now in the church. Things are crazy because everybody wants to be celebrity. I'm going to be a celebrity pastor, celebrity pastor. How many likes can I get, you know? I'm going to say these things. I'm going to be on the edge just so I can get these likes, just so I can get these things. I'm going to pay these companies. And I'm going to pay these companies, you know, like fake followers. So look, people can think I'm popular. I'm going to write this book, you know, I'm going to buy these books, sell them at a discount, take the tax advantage, and then also get the advantage from profit. Stupid. That's the ways of the world. And for Moses and Aaron, because they did not believe in the Lord to hallow me, he says, in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Whoa, what a heavy price. So we go back to chapter 21 and verse uh, 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 7. It's like, wow, Moses, you know, aren't you just going crazy with these people? And that's what's so beautiful about in chapter 20. Yes, it's a hard, it's like, remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. 
Maybe Moses was at wit's end. When the Lord says, you know, speak to the rock, and he struck the rock in disobedience to the Lord. Maybe he was at wit's end. But then at the same time, you know, in that moment of humbling, in that moment of chastising, he felt the pain of the Lord's rod. And now he said, okay. Okay, Lord. You will be hallowed. And I want you to be hallowed so that the people can know you. You see, just like John the Baptist. His beautiful, beautiful students. I just, just the thought of that breaks my heart. I mean, it breaks my heart, but it also, it's like, it's like my heart, but it also breaks my heart. Because he has his beautiful students, disciples of John the Baptist. The intimacy of that close discipleship. Teaching about the Lord. Disciples, you know, you know, teacher, lowercase t, teacher. There's this Jesus here. He teaches like this and the people follow him. He speaks like this. He says these things. What do we do, teacher? What do we do, teacher? And I wonder if John the Baptist, he says, you know, you go to him. You go to him. I must decrease and he must increase. But I wonder if in his own private time, John the Baptist, if he just weep like crazy. Because those are the students whom he loves. But in his obedience, the Lord must be hallowed. Just like Moses, the Lord is hallowed. So Moses prays for the people. He intercedes for the people. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. Now this is, it translates in the Hebrew as symbolic. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole or a flagstaff. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. How beautiful is this? How beautiful is this as New Covenant believers? Because turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 3. John 3. And we know that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. But look at John 3.14. John 3.14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. A foreshadowing of Christ. A foreshadowing of Christ. Remember the rock in the wilderness? That rock was Christ. What about the serpent being lifted up? Everything a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 21. In this foreshadowing of Christ, 
In verse 8, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses, in verse 9, made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at it, or translates in the Hebrew, to regard with pleasure and respect. When he looked at it, the when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So before people were be were bitten by the serpent and then they died. Now they're bitten, but then they live. How do they live? By looking at the serpent lifted up on the pole. You see, what about Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross? Lifted up on the cross. Jesus Christ carrying his cross. Carrying his cross. And then boom, they crosses down on the ground. They put Jesus on it. They stretch out his arms. Boom, nail. Other hand, boom, nail. Feet, boom, nail. That alone. The pain, the suffering. Wounded for our transgressions, for my transgressions, for your transgressions. That alone, think of that pain. This is after the scourging too, there's that pain. Fresh cut wounds. I mean, fresh cut wounds on the back, on the arms, on the legs. And then you're going to rub, you're not going to put gauze or any type of medicine on it. No, nothing to numb the pain. No medication. And then you're going to scrape those wounds against wood. The open flesh against wood. And now you're going to go through the flesh with nails. And that's just when it's on the ground. Now when he's nailed. Your snake bites. My snake bites. Bitten by the serpent. And past tense, we had death. But we look at the Christ. The, Christ, the Lord lifted up. And we believe. And we are saved. You see, bitten by the serpent, the venom goes in, and in the course of time kills. But praise be to the Lord for the cross. See, the Old Testament, a foreshadowing of the things to come. And so look at verse 10. Now the children of Israel moved on and camped in Oboth. Oboth translates in the Hebrew as water skins. I love this so much. 
because in their journey, the serpents came, you know, in their disobedience too, because they started to murmur and complain. And it was the Lord sent the fiery serpents among the people. And then the serpent is lifted up. And when they look at the serpent lifted up, what happens? Life they live. And in their first, in their journey, their first camp is in Oboth. The first camp after this moment of the cross being lifted or the, the, the serpent being lifted up. In this moment, the first town is Oboth. Translates as water skins. Now, as New Covenant believers, we don't see any reference to water skins, but we do see reference to wineskins. Wineskins. Very interesting. So what's the change that we see there? One is water skins. The next one is wine skins. What's the change? Water to wine. Water to wine. Does that ring a bell? Remember the wedding in Cana? I can't corroborate this anywhere. But I believe the Lord was revealing himself. Remember he says, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then he proceeds. Water to wine. Very interesting. In verse 11, And they journeyed from Aboth and camped at Abarim in the wilderness which is east of Moab towards the sunrise. You see, it's so beautiful when we see these things. How like Israel in their like. I prefer the 11 days. You know, the 11 days is beautiful. They don't get the 11 days as a result of their disobedience. But even in their disobedience, when 11 days turns into 40 years, they still have learning to do. A lot of learning to do. And they are learning. In verse 12, From there they moved and camped in the valley of Zered, Translates as, Zared translates as exuberant growth. You see, <laughs> exuberant, exuberant growth. So what do we see so far? The serpent is lifted and they have life. And don't forget that this first generation in their disobedience, they're going to die. <coughs> Excuse me. It's the second generation that moves to the promised land. The second generation, you know, Caleb and Joshua. What about you and me? Because in our journey with Christ, we, we also have our Zereds, which is exuberant growth. I pray that we do. You know, Corinth didn't have it for three years. Corinth didn't have it. Arrested development for three years. Now, praise be to the Lord for those in the household of Chloe because they notified Paul. And Paul dealt with it in a godly manner. Paul dealt with it. And I don't want to say like dealt with it like, you know, he dealt with the people like, you know, no carnal connotations. But he did deal with it. He did deal with the situation in a manner that honors the Lord, in obedience to the Lord, in a manner that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit. It was the church that was grieving the Holy Spirit. Your rejoicing isn't good, Paul said to the church. And so Paul had to put things in order. But Zered here, the valley of Zered, exuberant growth. 
The first generation, they're going to die in the wilderness. But does it remind you of you? As it reminds me of me? First generation. The carnal nature. Life unto Adam. What's the next generation? Born again. A new believer in Christ. And it's that generation that goes to the promised land. Paradise. It's not for this generation. This generation needs to die in the wilderness. That's you, that's me, in accordance to Adam, the first generation. Born again, second generation. You see? And it's that generation that goes to the promised land. That generation that moves on to paradise. Do you see what's happening here in the Old Testament? What's happening here in Numbers 21? What the Lord has done to teach us as young believers in Christ. As, you know, I say young believers in the, in the scope of eternity. He's teaching us. He's showing us the way. The first generation has to die. Because that's life in accordance to Adam. Born into sin. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful baby boy. Beautiful, beautiful baby girl. Beautiful, innocent. Still born into Adam. You see? And it's going to go. It's like born into corruption. Straight up born into corruption. But then born again, that first generation dies. And I mean, that generation, and according to Adam, dies. But the generation, according to Christ, to Jesus, being born again, that generation lives. In the valley of Zered, Exuberant growth. You have Israel changing. Just as you see a shift in, the, in, in our study in Corinth. You see a shift. Paul says in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, he says, I, I, you guys are like babies. I got to talk to babies. And he still writes. He doesn't say, man, I got to talk to babies, period, end of chapter. No, he still writes. That's fine. I got to talk to babies. Okay, I'll talk to babies. Then you see the shift. Now I speak as to wise. Because the carnal nature is dealt with. That's the old nature. That's the old man. That's the old woman. The one who you have to reckon dead. The one who I have to reckon dead. Dead. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. Dead. Straight up dead. Paul did it. That's why he said, I'm crucified with Christ. People say, oh, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. You, you open up your phone. You're like, go to their social media page. Okay, you're crucified with Christ. Hmm, let's scroll here. You know, swipe this way, swipe this way. You know, what's up with this? How come you were at the strip club just last night? What's this? You're getting drunk. Look, 
Here, look, you're getting high. Here you are doing the lines. Crucified with Christ? I don't say crucifixion, brother. I don't say crucifixion, sister. I see your old nature. It's you. You are the one that has to reckon that guy dead. You are the one that has to reckon that woman dead. Now, as in the camp of Israel, you see, wow, look, they're like straight up taking names in chapter 3. But then it's like, wow, now they're back to murmuring and complaining. Then you start to see the ups and downs of Israel. You look at your own life, and what do you see? Ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. But then you look to the mature. You still see ups and downs. But you don't see ups and downs like they were before. I like to look at like stock charts. You know, you look at the performance of the S&P 500 over the scope of, you know, 20 years. S&P 500, you know, you see it. And what do you see if you take like a, you know, a little, a little snip of like a year performance. And each year, take a month performance. And you see the ups and downs, 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 ups and downs. You're like, wow, there's a lot of ups, a lot of downs. But then you do the grand scope of, you know, 20 years. And what do you see? A whole lot of up. A whole lot of up. The same could be said of us in our walk with Christ. If you're maturing in Him, you're going to have the ups and downs. But as an aggregate, you're going to see a whole lot of up. That's if you're maturing and you're moving on to perfection. But what if you pan out? Just like, you know, can you consider the S&P 500 or Euro stocks? You consider that, depending on where you are. You know, Asian markets. You look at, you know, uh, whatever market sector. You pan out. And what if you pan out, you do a 20-year performance of S&P 500, and what do you see? You just see decline, decline, decline. Economically speaking, that's not good. But what about if you do that in your own life spiritually? You pan out, and in the scope of 20 years, do you see decline? Whoa, that's not good. Or do you pan out in the last 20 years and you see increase, increase, increase? And you zoom in. Yes, you're going to see the ups and downs. You're going to see a whole lot of ups and downs. Nothing but ups and downs. Sometimes you're going to see a little crash. But in the long term, you see upward growth. Lord willing, you know, if, if, if like Corinth was for three years, it was like stagnant for three years, stagnant. I would say, you know, a decline even. And Paul says, I speak as the babies and, you know, you guys are still babies. You guys are still on milk. I wanted to give you, you know, something deeper, but I can't. Not because of him, because of you, church. That's what Paul said. It's because of you. I mean, picture you have a fresh baby, Brett, like freshly born, like, you know, uh, two days ago. A freshly born baby. Who in their right mind would give this baby a pork chop? Here, baby, eat your pork chop. Who in their right mind would do that? You're going to kill the baby. 
You can't give the, the pork chop to the baby. In the course of time, that baby can eat pork chops. He's going to learn how to, he's going to have the teeth. She's going to have the teeth. She, I mean, you, you might have to, you know, in the course of time, you might have to little cut the, you see like, you know, parents, they cut the meats, cut the meat for the kids, the kid. But then in the course of time, the kid's going to have a fork. Kids going to have a knife and cut it, you know. Or you're going to eat like me, little caveman, you know, just pick it up and just rah, go crazy. That's what happens in growth, in maturity. It's dangerous. You can't give a pork chop to a baby. Fresh, fresh, fresh baby cannot eat a pork chop. You're going to kill the baby. And Paul says, you guys are milk. I can't, uh, you know, I have, you know, this is Paul. But, you know, Peter, you know, remember the, 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 the Jewish leaders when they marveled? They're like, who is this guy? Like, he, this guy, Peter wasn't in school. Peter's not formally educated. And they marveled that Peter would speak of these deep, deep, deep spiritual things. Peter. And the religious leader's like, who is this guy? Did he go to school with you? Did he no, he's a fisherman. Like, what? But they marveled. And then they remembered that he was with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. And this same guy, Peter, of who the religious leaders marveled at, spoke of Paul. Paul knows some deep things, guys. That's what he says. Paul knows some deep things of, you know, these other people. They twist it. They, they, they twist the truth of scriptures. But you guys listen to Paul. He knows some deep, deep stuff. And now this, the religious leaders said of Peter. They marveled at Peter that, that he knew all these things, that he understood deep, deep, deep spiritual things as a result of walking with Jesus. And if the religious leaders thought, thought that of Peter, and Peter said such high remarks of Paul, of his knowledge, which is a gift. It's not the greatest gift, but it's a gift nonetheless. And this guy, Paul, who had a, just a well of knowledge, who had all kinds of spiritual pork chops, Spiritually speaking, all kinds of pork chops, deep, deep, deep pork chops to tell the church, hey guys, I'm just giving you milk. Three years later, hey guys, I have to give you milk even still. After three years, you see, only milk. It's not to say that Paul refused. He couldn't give pork chops to the babies. But in the course of time, he does. But not yet for their stage of growth. And that's what's so beautiful, what we see here in Israel. In the valley of Zered, which is exuberant growth, is how it translates. The first generation must die in the wilderness. The same that applies to you and me. The first generation of Adam must die. It's the second generation. You see? That moves on to the promised land. That moves on to paradise. Verse 13. From there, 
they moved and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is the river Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For the, for the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. So you see that it's like, wow, there's like, put yourself in the sandals of Israel. Look at who surrounds them. You have the Moabites, the Amorites, not friendly people to Israel. Not friendly people. You have the Edomites in chapter 20, Canaanites in 21. Here you see even more Moabites, Amorites, even more. Look at who's surrounding Israel. Look at all the surroundings of Israel. Look at your own surroundings. Who is it that surrounds you? Who is it that surrounds you? Could be Christians. Praise be to the Lord. But maybe not. Maybe you see this all surrounding you. It's like, wow, what do I do? That's just so beautiful. It's like, wow. All these Old Testament examples to things that we face as New Covenant believers. When you feel that you're surrounded. When you see that you're surrounded. By the proverbial Moabite, the proverbial Amorite, the proverbial Canaanite, the proverbial Edomite, Amalekite. Things that we're going to see further on in the Old Testament. In verse 14, therefore it was said in the book of the wars of the Lord. I love this so much. I think I'm going to make a request when we're in our glorified bodies. I was like, can I see that book? Can I see that? The, the book of the wars of the Lord? I would love to. That's like, whoa. Therefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord. And what do we see here in, in, in verse 14? Waheb in Sufa translates in the Hebrew of, it translates like this. What he did in the tempest of the Red Sea. Waheb in Sufa. What he did in the tempest of the Red Sea. How beautiful is this? That what's recorded in the book of the wars of the Lord is what he had done. What he had done with the Red Sea. Remember, he parted the web, the Red Sea. And Israel walked on dry ground. What he did in the tempest of the Red Sea. Waheb in Sufa. And in the Hebrew translates. Some translations say this, but it says, And in the brooks of Arnon. And the slope in verse 15, and the slope of the brooks or the outpouring, how it translates in the Hebrew, and the outpouring of the brooks or the torrent in the valley. So it translates as, in Hebrew as the, and the outpouring of the torrent of brooks in the valley. So you have to picture this. We know that the Red Sea parted. We know that the sea parted and Israel walked on dry ground. So, in this parting of the sea, dry passage for Israel. Now, what happens with that surge of water? That surge of water, in order for there to be, uh, uh, you know, for every action, there's an opposite and, and, and equal reaction. Well, what happens to all that water? That yeah, that absence of water for whatever whatever uh, uh, volume of water that was. Well, that volume had to be displaced somewhere. 
You see the rippling effects on the waterways. I mean, look at a tsunami. Look at a tsunami when there's like, you know, some type of whatever, earthquake or tremor or whatever. You know, you have that disperse of the body of water. Well, that body of water comes on dry ground and in some cases it's deadly. So you have this Wahib and Sufa, what he did in the tempest of the Red Sea, but then the brooks of the Arnon and the slope or the outpouring of the torrent in the valley. All that water, the excess water where, you know, the water was removed, Israel passed on dry ground, but all the excess water, where was it displaced? Where was it dispersed? Where did this torrent go? It is written here, the brooks of the Arnon. That reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. So remember, Israel is on the move. In verse 16, from there they went to Be'er, which is in the well, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together and I will give them water. So What's happening here? So it's not just Moses. It's not just, you know, gather the people together and I will give them water. It's not just Moses. Turn to Genesis 16 really quick. And in Genesis 16, verse 13, Genesis 16, verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord. This is Hagar now, Hagar. Then Hagar, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees Elroi, Elroi, the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi, the well of the one who lives and sees me. Observe this between between. Kadesh and Bered. That's right in the region where we're reading in Numbers. It is between the, the Kadesh and Bered in verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. You see what's happening here? Now, I have a little message. If there's anyone listening of Arab descent... And when I say of Arab descent, I say this to descendants of Ishmael, that there is a well. There is a well of which if you drink, you will never thirst again. His name is Jesus Christ. You see, son of the Most High. God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. You see? Let's go back to Numbers. So when the Lord says here in verse 20, uh, chapter 21 of uh, uh, Numbers, uh, in verse 16, the well, uh, 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 which, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. So it's not just Moses. But what about today? What about today? And when you read passages like this, now this, the, the radius of these waters which spread, remember, Wahib and Sufa, 
what the Lord did in the in the tempest of the Red Sea, and in verse fifteen, and the slope, the outpouring of the torrent in the valley or the brooks. You think you think about the surge of water. What happened to that water? The water that reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. All that you look at that radius. I mean, if you look at the map, the Old Testament map, and you just look at that particular point, and you do the outskirts. Well, within that radius, there's another region, the region of Shechem. Shechem, but I say Shechem, a place where Joshua also gets water. And a place where a certain woman also gets water of a peculiar people having emigrated from Babylon. Samaritans. Remember the woman at the well? All these things that we see what's happening here in the Old Testament, straight up Numbers 21. Waheb and Sufa, the in it is written in the in the book of the wars of the Lord. Do you see? Waheb and Sufa. What he did, oh what he has done. Samaritan, what he has done. Drink of the well. Of Ishmael. Waheb and Sufa. Drink of the well. You see? In verse 17, then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, translates as pit. Spring up, O well, all of you who sing to it, all of you sing to it, the well the leaders sank or bore open, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. Now, what would happen in these days, and I say the olden days, but you know, in these desert living areas, is, is these wells in the Old Testament, a lot of times it was just like a straight up hole in the ground. It's like, like modern day wells. You know, you see like modern day wells where they have, you know, everything's all nice and neat. But in the olden days, what would happen is that you'd have these holes in the ground. Sometimes they'd be like big, big cracks in the ground or a hole in the ground. And you'd have like desert rains would come. And the water would stay there in these in these in these wells. Well, for the old te- for the dwellers in the wilderness, that's what they use as, the, as as their wells. And sometimes, you know, it, it would be like a big excavation project, where what would happen is that you'd have like people would come in, and and it take a lot of money, a lot of resources. And what that's what's what is written here. It's the leaders that you know bore open, so they take these like these holes in the ground, but they just make it bigger. Like, say, for example, if, you know, like you see a hole in the ground and you're like, okay, you know, water gathers here and, okay, so now I'm going to make it bigger. So picture like, I don't know, like uh, a big pothole, okay, now it's a big pothole in the ground and you just, okay, this is a big pothole, water collects in here, it's a huge pothole, and now I'm going to make it an Olympic-sized pool. Well, it's going to take a lot of resources to do that. You know, money, funding, work, you know, labor, all these things. It's going to, materials. And that's what the reference is here. So that, that's what would happen. Like, you know, these, uh, 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 you know, of Egypt. Remember, Egypt was God on earth back then. Pharaoh was God on earth in, in these days. Considered God on earth. But the Most High revealed himself. The Almighty revealed himself. But they would take these pits in the ground. Where, you know, 
the poor people would come and drink water of, you know, they'd collect their water. They didn't have the resources to make these big construction projects. But it was the the the, the rulers. They would say, okay, we're going to get, you know, 500 guys and here's the material. And what they would do is they would bore open these holes, dig out these big excavation projects. And they would take these big pillars, uh, you know, wooden pillars and plant them on the sides. And sometimes they would even construct in the rocks like stairs, like a stairwell that goes down deep, deep, deep into the well. So when it's really dry and there's like really no water, you can go deep, 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 deep into the well and still get your water. That's what happened. And so, verse 17, then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, or O pit, all you sing to it. The, the well the leaders sank or bore open, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. Staves are the wooden planks as support beams. And so, you have to understand, like, you read this, and you're like, wait, I don't get it. But when you have this backdrop of, like, oh, okay, I get it now. This, you know, they're making this, this little pothole into an Olympic-sized pool. Well, that's, that's what's happening here. But then now, so Egypt, they have this big excavation project. And they, they make these, this big well. They, 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 they take this well that was like a little hole in the ground. And now they just make it bigger. And so now it's like, okay, Egypt has these things. But now here in Numbers 21, what happened to Egypt? Destroyed. The might of Egypt, Gone. So now that the might of Egypt is gone, look at what the Lord has turned it into. Here, drink, Israel. Drink. Remember when you passed on dry ground, O Israel? And the waters, the dispersion of the waters? Well, in that dispersion, as the, 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 the torrents in the valley, the outpouring of the torrent in the valley... And that water being displaced. And not just that water, but think about the pressure on the, the riverbeds, the streams. Think about that pressure in the opposite direction. And then what would happen? That pressure, all of a sudden, boom, start to fill these wells. Start to fill these wells. So that at a later time, Israel would have water to drink. That's what's so beautiful about these passages. Because you're in the right here now. We read the passages of Scripture. It's like, wow, we're in the right here, the right now. You know, like in Exodus, we're reading Exodus. And it's like, wow, you know, we're, we're, we're with Israel. We're, we're traveling on dry ground. And, you know, Egypt's, Egyptians, the might of Egypt, they're chasing us. And here we are, we're walking on dry ground. Wow, look at what the Lord has done. We're walking on dry ground through the sea. We get up through the sea and then all of a sudden the water closes. And we're like, wow, praise be to the Lord. Remember Miriam leading, leading in worship? Singing song. And how beautiful it is that that happens. But then at the same time, in that dispersion of water, that the Lord filled a well that we would later drink of as we travel the wilderness. The Lord made a well. That would sustain us in the wilderness at a later time. Not for right here, right now. Right here, right now. I mean, you know, going back to our studies in Exodus. Right here, right now. Boom. Egypt, gone. But down the road in our journey. Giving us water. Unbeknownst to us, we don't know about it. 
but Wahib in Sufa. How beautiful is that for us today as New Covenant believers? All the promises that we have, Old Testament, New Testament. We're New Covenant believers. All these things of the old written for our admonition, for our warning, for our examples. All these promises that we can lean on and that we do lean on and that we must lean on and that we must trust in Him. Even when, man, look at all the hardships that we studied so far. I mean, from the Exodus to here in chapter 21, look at all the hardships. But even in the hardships, look at all the wells that Israel drank of. Wahib and Sufa. Look at all the wells that were filled from the tempest of the Red Sea and the outpouring of the torrent in the valley. Look at all the wells that were filled. I mean, we can get into Leviticus for such a time as this. We can get into early chapters of Numbers for such a time as this. What about you and me today for such a time as this? Look at your present hardships. The hardships that you're going through right now, right now, you lean on the promises of God. You trust in Him. And even you in your heart of hearts can cry out, Wahib in Sofa, what He did in the tempest of the Red Sea. Do you know why I say that? Because He has wells for you, my friend. He has wells for you. Just walk with Him. Walk with Him. Journey with Him. He said, oh, that sounds really nice. That sounds really good. But you know what? I, I, I like my crack. I like my strip clubs. I like the sex. I like the alcohol. Put it down. Those things which so easily ensnare you, those things which so easily hinder you, put it down. Not for me. For the Lord and honoring Him because He is hallowed. And for your own soul, put it down. And then you walk with Him. You reckon your old man dead? You reckon the old woman dead? Because that first generation must die. You, in accordance to Adam, but you, in accordance to Christ, paradise. And we're on our way. And we keep walking. And there's wells along the way. Wahib and Sufa. Now, you picture this absence of Egypt, the, the might of Egypt, the God on earth, so-called God on earth. I mean, if you saw me, if we were like in a public place, you know, and I was teaching publicly and you could see me face to face, you'd be seeing my air quotes, you know, God on earth, lowercase g. So-called God on earth. It was like nobody messed with the Egyptians. Nobody messed with these guys. These guys were like tough. You don't mess with these guys. Look at what God has done to them. They're nothing. Yeah, the gods of Egypt, they could do this, they could do that. But they couldn't do the hail. 
Remember we studied that a couple weeks ago from 1 Corinthians 8. And so you see this void now. Egypt is gone. The might of Egypt is gone. Now it puts things into perspective when you think of the Edomites, the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Amorites. Pole positioning in this void. I mean, look at America today. We have this void of global leadership. And you look at what's happening across the globe. China wants to be more a relevant player in the Middle East. Making their partnership with Iran. You have a supply chain of oil into China. China supplying military. Iran supplying oil. China partnering with Russia. Russia partnering with Iran. Making partnership with Turkey. All these things coming into play. And now you can see the nations of Ezekiel 38 forming their alliances. Everything gearing up for the last days. In tandem with that, what do you also see? The bioengineering of the red heifer. In tandem with that, what do you also see? You see the prefabrication of uh, the third temple. In tandem with that, what do you see? Look at the Israel elections. They're going on their, they just had their fourth election and can't form a government. Now they're going to go on a fifth election in two years, fifth election. Something's going to happen. All these different factions, political factions. On top of that, what do you see across the globe? Ethnos against ethnos. Nation against nation, tribe against tribe, people against people. Look at all the race baiting that we see today. The, uh, the race theory, critical race theory coming into the church. And you have a social gospel coming into the church. You see, all these things are happening. Love is waxing cold. Love is waxing cold. Things are getting darker and darker. It's going to get more evil, but it's all happening at the same time, the converging of all these things for such a time as this. It's happening. It will come to pass. But there's a people of the way just minding our own business, you know? We're just passing through. We're just passing by. And in our journey, it's that first generation in accordance to Adam, which must die. And even still, we're just passing by. You see? Fishing along the way. Fishing. Fishing for souls. And yes, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get bad. And our engagement with the world we're gonna we're, we traverse through this world which is dark, which is dirty, which is nasty, sex, drugs, rock and roll, everywhere. Everywhere you go, everybody's having sex, everybody's doing drugs, everybody's doing their pornography, everybody's doing but you know what? Who will who will show them? Who will tell them? When people get bit by the serpent. Who is the one that will tell them, hey, look at the Christ. Believe in him. 
and receive salvation. Who? It's the people of the way. People of the way. Look what happens here in verse 18. And from the wilderness, they went to Matana. Oh, what I was going to say is, you know, with, with this absence of Egypt, look at, you know, it, it, when I say it puts into perspective these other nations vying for power, you know, Egypt is no longer. It's like, okay, now I want to be the big shot in town. So you have this void, geopolitically speaking. And you see Israel. Israel, you know, the Canaanites the, 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 uh, in the southern region. It's like, wow, you know, they might have been a group of people vying for power. But they were delivered. The Lord delivered them to Israel. And Israel won in this battle of Hormah, where there was utter destruction. Not the might of Israel. The might of the Lord. Israel's the vessel. You see, it's a different Israel. Just as in Corinth, you see a shift. Remember, you, know, you hear me say like, you know, chapter five, first Corinthians chapter five, six, seven, some heavy, heavy stuff. Heavy. You get in chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter 10. It's a shift. It's like, okay, now we can get on to deeper things. Now we can put aside the milk and now we can start eating Cheerios. Now we can start eating little, you know, little yeah, chicken nuggies. Now we can start eating little, you know, the strips of chicken. Now here, let's have some steak. But you see the same thing in the camp of Israel. In the camp of Israel, they're different. They still wrestle with these, you know, they still murmur and complain, but they also had a victory. You start to see their ups and downs. Now, in, in, in verse 19, from Matanah to Nahaliel, from Nahaliel, which is the Valley of God, to Bemoth. Bemoth is the heights of Baal. Now, very interesting, the heights of Baal. Very interesting into contrast. You have in verse 19, you have Nahaliel and Bemoth, which is the Valley of God and the heights of Baal. You know what it reminds me of? Corinth. Notice where the Lord is. And Nahaliel. In the valley, but you look at the heights, and what do you see? Bamoth, which is the heights of Baal, reminds me of Corinth. Oh, the hustle bustle, the 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 the, the, the hub of you know a commercial hub, and they have all these gods and goddesses, lowercase g's, all these gods, all these goddesses, all these priests, all these priestesses. A lot of their priests and priests. We're very into the, the, the sex culture in worship of those gods. You, you know, a lot of sexual acts. Corinth is Corinth. But verse 19 here reminds me of just that. Because in Corinth, you still have this little church that's growing, just moving along, growing, maturing in Christ. Yes, they had to be dealt with. The carnal nature had to be dealt with. The leaven had to be dealt with. The leaven had to be addressed. But even still, you have a church, a remnant. Look at Israel. Look at the heights, the moth. The heights of Baal. 
You look at the valley, what do you see? Nahaliel, the valley of God. In verse 20, and from Bamoth in the valley that is in, in and from Bamoth in the valley that is in the country of Moab to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. You see, Israel is just passing by. They look down, okay, that's the wasteland. We're just passing by. Corinth, okay, that's Corinth. It's a wasteland. We're just passing by. You and me, look, okay, just the wasteland. We're just passing by. This is the the gravesite, metaphysically speaking, this is the gravesite of Adam, first generation. The next generation, paradise. And here we are, moving right along, moving right along, just passing by. In verse 21, Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not, let me, singular, Israel speaking as one. Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields or to the or vineyards. We will not drink water from the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jehaz and fought against Israel. So now what do we see here? Contact. Contact front. Contact. Affix bayonets. Contact. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword. You see, Israel is learning even more and more and more how to fight. But we too learn how to fight, but we have a different sword. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So yes, 11 days, it's like, wow, 11 days. Wow, I prefer 11 days because we can just handle business. 11 days and boom, promised land. 40 years, there's the sad aspect of it. Like, oh man, 11 days, that's better. 40 years, that's a lot of days. But what is happening in that 40-year journey? Growth. And not just growth. Death of that first generation. The same that happens to you and to me. Death of Adam. Born in Christ. The next generation. And we pass on to paradise. We're just passing by. But we move on to paradise. That's keep our eyes on the prize. Keep our eyes on Christ. Waheb and Sufa. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And oh, what He has done. What He did in the tempest of the Red Sea. And even in the tempest of the Red Sea, provided for the future pathway of Israel, water. Water. When they were thirsty. You see? In verse 24, then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from Arnon 
to the Jabbok. As far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of, Mo, of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from his hand as far as the Arnon. So you see, Israel is different than before. They're not just, I mean, they're growing, but they're winning battles. You have this absence of Egypt, the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Amorites, everybody vying for position, vying for position. And Israel is fighting and winning. And not winning because they're awesome. Winning because they're God's people. God is giving them victory. In verse 27, Therefore those who speak in Proverbs say, or those who speak in parables or in allegories say, they say this of Sihon, Come to Eshbon, let it be built, let the city of Sihon be repaired. For fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of Arnon. Now, the lords here translates as the bales, the bales of the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab, you have perished, O people of Chemosh. Chemosh translates as the god of the Moabites. Woe to you, he said, woe to you, Moab, you have cherished, you have perished, O people of Chemosh, the God of the Moabites. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Now, these are Sihon defeated by Israel. What has Chemosh done for you? To all these people, come to Heshbon, to the city of Sihon. And what has Chemosh done for you? Now, I'm speaking allegorically, but like in Old Testament time frames. But for today, if you're listening to me today and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. Sometimes, you know, I say, you know, are you a Christian? Are you not a Christian? Sometimes people base that on what they see on TV. They see this on TV. They see the, they watch TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and they say, wow, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. Or they look at the hypocrites and say, wow, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. And rightfully so. Because I could say the same thing for the hypocrite. The same thing of the hypocrite pastor. The hypocrite elder. The hypocrite TV personality. The TV celebrity pastor. I could say, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. But let me tell you something. That is not Christianity. We follow the Bible. And the Word became flesh. We follow Jesus Christ. What has, what has Chemosh done for you? What has Chemosh done for you? You say, what are you talking about? There is no Chemosh. Okay. Fill in the blank. What has Mary done for you? What has Buddha done for you? What has Hare Krishna done for you? What has alcohol done for you? What has pornography done for you? What has crack done for you? What has coke done for you? What has it done for you? 
All idols are nothing. And I say this from experience. I'm not just saying this like, oh, you know, let me just wishful thinking, you know. No, I tell you this from experience. The journey of which you on is very likely steps that I myself have traversed. And I tell you from experience, there are wells out there of which you know nothing about, of which I desire you to drink of. Of which, if you drink, you will never thirst again. And you too can rejoice. And you too can walk with me. And we have to die in the wilderness. You and me both. Reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, old woman dead, you and me both, we have to die. In accordance to Adam, we have to die. In accordance to Christ, we live. And in that living, we still have to reckon the old man dead. We still have to reckon the old woman dead. You know why? Because we're in these earth suits. But nonetheless, we're still tra traversing the lands. We're just passing by. That's it. We're just passing by. On our way to paradise. What has Hamosh done for you? The Almighty is Most High. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And He has a son. His name is Jesus Christ. You drink of Him. And the water that He gives... It's living water. You'll never thirst again. Never. And I tell you from experience. It's water that I drink of. And it's water that I share with you. Now you look at verse 28. A fire went out from Heshbon, a flame in the city of Sehon. Sihon. Now you read the, the verse 28. A fire went out from Heshbon. And as new covenant believers, it places into perspective, perhaps a better perspective, about the tongues of fire. The tongues of fire that went out. You see? That's what's so beautiful about these passages. Because the Lord gives us this deeper understanding of, oh my goodness, wow, Lord, what have you done? Not just what have you done, but what you have done. What have been so far? In closing, in verse 30, but we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Dibon. Then we laid waste as far as Nofa, which reaches to Medeba. So it's like, wow, you know, to have this understanding of what has Hamosh done for you. Remember, Hamosh is the god of the Moabites. And I say, you know, Hamosh, but fill in the blank. What has the crack done for you? What has the pornography done for you? What has the alcohol done for you? What has the wild turkey done for you? What has the lions done for you? You see, oh, but it's the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. I don't care. Oh, marijuana, it's legal. I don't care. Magic mushrooms, it's legal now. I could care less. What has it done for you? Nothing is impossible with God. 
You see? As the Lord makes himself known, you have a choice to make, my friend. And I don't say this to hurt you. I say this because I love you. As the Lord makes himself known, you have a choice to make. As that, you know, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too shall the Son of Man be lifted up that those who believe in him shall not perish. And as the Lord makes himself known, even right here, right now, you have a choice to make. Choose life. Choose life and that everlasting. And then walk with me to paradise. That's our journey. The old dies. The new lives. Verse 31. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazer. They're another recon team. They go to recon it out. And they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan to Og, king of Bashan. went out against, So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. Which is, you know, so interesting what we see here because the fight, it's not Israel is like going to seek out battles. They're not going to seek out fights. The fight is coming to them. So you hear me say, you know, we're just passing through. We're just passing through. But understand, the fight is going to come to you. And you might be in a situation where it's like, okay, I'm a believer. Praise be to the Lord. I'm abiding in Christ. Praise be to the Lord. So why is the fight coming to me? Well, <laughs> because the enemy wants to kill you. That's why. But you have to fight. That's why, you know, we study the Bible, we roll around on the mat. And I say that metaphysically. But we learn how to fight. We learn hand-to-hand combat. And that's hand-to-hand. But we have a sword. Fight. Remember Israel with Canaan the first time? With Canaan the first time? How afraid they were, how scared they were? Oh, but the Canaanites, they're huge. They're going to kill us. And it was already given to them. And in their fear, the Lord had to chastise them. And he did chastise them. But now they're learning. Israel is different. Israel is different. The fight is coming to them at Edrei. In verse 33, now what happens? Verse 34, then the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwell at Heshbon. You see, intimacy with the Lord is beautiful. It's so beautiful. You know what I hate the most about intimacy with the Lord? And it sounds weird, like, what? I thought it's good. Why do you hate it? I don't hate intimacy with the Lord. But what I hate most about intimacy with the Lord is the amen. I don't like it. You know why? Because, you you know, intimacy with the Lord, you say amen, and then you open your eyes, and you're like, man, I'm still alive. I think, you know, if death is ever imminent, I mean, death is imminent for everybody, but I mean, if I know it's coming, I think I'm just going to pray, like my final prayer, because praise be to the Lord, I won't have to say amen. 
I'm just going to close my eyes and like my wish will come true. I won't have to say amen. I won't have to open up my eyes. I'm just going to close my eyes and boom, take my head. It's yours. Intimacy with the Lord is so beautiful. Here you see a different Israel. There's the great comfort that you have in intimacy with the Lord. But then also in the comfort that he gives, he also gives these instructions. And in these instructions that he's given to Moses, just as he gave instructions before, remember the blueprints that he gave in Exodus 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. And just like those instructions, in these instructions here in verse 34, don't fear them. Yeah, the, the king of Bashan is coming. They want to fight with you at Edrei. That's fine. Don't fear him. I've delivered. They're already yours. You see, I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites who dwell at Heshbon. You know what they did? They killed him. Intimacy with the Lord. Moses, don't even fear them. They're yours. You're going to do to them. Remember how you killed these guys? You're going to kill these guys too. Now, I say that metaphysically for us as new covenant believers. But as new covenant believers, don't forget that we have victory in Christ. Because we lean on the promises of the Lord. You know what Satan wants? He doesn't want you to lean on God's promises. He doesn't want you to trust in the Lord because if he can have a little foothold, he likes to create a little gap between you and the Lord. And then you start to fear. Oh man, you know, the king of Bashan is coming. Whatever that form that looks like. Oh man, he's so strong. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. That's what Satan wants. He wants you to be defeated. What he doesn't want you to know is that he's defeated already. He knows it. He knows where he's going. He's going to burn in hell. The lake of fire. That's where he's going. And he knows it. He just wants to take you with him. He wants to take you with him. You see? He wants to take others with him. Number one, don't let him take you. Number two, don't let him take others. That's our fight. So I say we're going through the wilderness, we're going on our way to paradise, and we're just passing through. But as we pass through, we're still going to have fights. Opposition is still going to come. Satan is still going to attack. But we fight. We fight. You say, oh, I don't like, a, I don't like confrontation. Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> You're a believer? Boom, confrontation is going to happen. I don't like confrontation. Okay, I, I get it. I understand. I, I understand completely. But it's unavoidable. Now, you have hirelings. You have the defunct pastors, the defunct elders of today. Opposition comes and they lose. You know, 
Bashan comes, the king of Bashan comes in whatever shape or form. And then they buy into that these, you know, uh, hirelings who don't care for the sheep. But real shepherds, they kill the wolves. They kill the wolves. Metaphysically speaking. But you kill the wolves. If you're a pastor, elder, teacher, uh, you know, any kind of ministry leader, youth leader, you kill the wolves. If you're a wolf yourself, then stand by. Stand by. Contact front. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but that's how it is. You have to make the distinction. Field and workers. Field and workers. Remember our study in chapter 3? We just studied this on Sunday. Hearkening to the pastoral epistles to Titus. Their mouths must be stopped. Oh, that's so mean, Paul. I can't believe you said that. That's so mean-spirited. No, it's biblical. Worker to worker, pastor to pastor, teacher to teacher. Make the distinction. The fight's going to come to you. The question is, will you fight? That's the question. Will you fight? In closing... Verse 35, so they defeated him, his sons, and all his people, until there was no survivor left, and until there was no survivor left him, and they took possessions of his land. You see, victory in the Lord. Now remember, all these things are written as our examples and for our examples, for our admonition. And you look at all these tough passages that we've been studying, Old Testament and New Testament. Look at uh, uh, Korah and all the adherents, all Korah's followers. And look at, wow, that was such a tough. Wow, all these people died. The plague that came to Egypt. Remember, and Aaron had to run. Aaron had to run to intercede to stop the plague, killing people, killing Israel. Miriam, uh, a leper. Tough, tough, tough things that are happening. Tough situations. Even our, that's our study in Numbers, but uh, look at our study in, in, in 1 Corinthians. Very difficult passages. But there's still change along the way. Israel is fighting. And Israel is winning. You look at the church in Corinth. Israel is doing a or <laughs> the church. I could say Israel grafted in, not greater than the root. The, the root supports the branch. The church. They're different. First the church in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. It's not the same. It's not like the church in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Not the same. Moving on to perfection. You see? When you get into the latter chapters of 1 Corinthians and even in 2 Corinthians, spiritual warfare. Demonic, satanic attacks. 
Paul doesn't teach about demonic things. You know, there's no, no, no passages about demonology in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's no, no mention of the demonic realm in those particular chapters. Do you know why? They're babies. They need their Cheerios. Actually, not even Cheerios. Milk. But then as you progress in the latter chapters of the Corinthian letters and even 2 Corinthians, things demonic are introduced why? Because the church needs to learn how to fight. Because the attacks will come. The king of Bashan will come. Og will come. To battle at Edrei. And what is Edrei? Well, if you're under attack, boom, that's your Edrei. Will you win? It's not to say, look how tough you are. Oh yeah, I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough lady. But I do happen to like tough guys and tough ladies. <laughs> like Chloe. Like Paul, like Titus, like Timothy. Like Lois and Eunice. You see? Phoebe. Beautiful lady, beautiful lady. All these beautiful people that we see in the Bible. Me personally, I do like tough. But our strength is in Christ. He's our strength. He's our joy. He's our everything. And we live to please Him. And He gives us, we'll never thirst again when we drink of Him. Waheb in Sufa, what He did in the tempest of the Red Sea. God bless you guys. Love you guys.